Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome again to the Sky U Podcast by the Daily Gopher. This is Chris Goayu Fur. Uh, we've got U Street with us again this week. Hey y'all. We've got Andy, Gopher Guy 05. How's it going? And we've got Blake, Iowa Gopher. Go tribe, 20 straight. You're horrible. You're a horrible person. Why'd you have to do that? Yeah, I gotta represent the Indians, man. Well, I'm gonna represent uh, what should you be drinking? and talk about uh, what I would have been drinking, uh, what I should have been drinking uh, over during the game last week. Um, some Rowan's Creek, like the second quarter against Oregon State in the sense that it can be jarring at first, um, but ultimately, though, much like the fourth quarter, I find it to be smooth and enjoyable. Um, Andy, what would you have been drinking on Saturday? Well, I was drinking. I had uh, Dogfish Head has their oak-aged vanilla worldwide stout. Um so I had some of that, and uh, while, it's, while it's a good beer, I think I definitely uh, like the Central Waters stouts, their bourbon-barreled stouts, just a little bit better. So uh, I'll probably pull one of those out for the next road game, but uh, it's a good beer nevertheless if you get your hands on one. It's not cheap, but it's uh, it's boozy, but it's tasty. Excellent. And yes, he just recommended a Wisconsin brewery. All of you deal with it. Beer is delicious. Don't discriminate based on location. All right, so um, we're actually going to start with volleyball because volleyball is awesome. And my question for you, Andy, is how awesome is the Minnesota volleyball team? Well, the Minnesota volleyball team is extremely awesome. They're currently ranked number one in the country, and uh, I think everybody thought they might take a slight step back this year after they graduated uh, the reigning national player of the year in Sarah Wilhite and uh, Hannah and Paige Tapp twins who had anchored the gopher front line for four years uh but they have really impressed uh they went down to a tournament at the university of texas last weekend texas being the number five ranked team in the country and they just shoved it down their throat uh beat them three games to one they're getting amazing play from some young players in their front lines uh they've got a redshirt freshman reagan Pittman, who's outstanding couple other freshmen in stephanie samaday and, and jasmine martin uh who are really playing and then they're still getting great leadership from uh senior molly loman and uh dally rosado their libero so they are a fun team to watch and i think it's only going to be more interesting as we get further into the big 10 season here Hey, Andy. I generally write about basketball. I know very little about volleyball, as evidenced by my terrible intramural volleyball team last year. In basketball, it tends to be the case that when you recruit, your freshmen are going to be impact players straight out of the gate. Is that the same in volleyball? Were we expecting the freshmen, who I'm led to believe on this team have been doing quite well, to be as good as they actually have been so far? You know, this year it seems that's the case. Um, 
I'll take Reagan Pittman as an example. She's a redshirt freshman. She was brought in one of the top-rated recruits in the country last year, but since the Gophers had so much senior talent, she sat on the bench redshirted, and this year she's come out. uh, She played in the World University Games this summer for Team USA. She has really made an uh, impact in the middle. The freshman who's making the biggest impact so far, though, is Stephanie Samaday. Uh, she was the number four or five recruit in the country coming out of Florida. She was the Florida High School Volleyball Player of the Year. And she has been just a revelation for Minnesota this year. She was named the MVP of the Diet Coke Classic, which the Gophers held two weekends ago. She was named the MVP of the tournament down in Texas last weekend. And somehow, not sure how, she was not awarded any Big Ten Player of the Week honors last weekend. But yet ESPNW named her the National Player of the Week for her impressive weekend. Um, So she's really lived up to the hype. Other freshman, Jasmine Martin, uh, she came in actually as an early enrollee. You see that a lot in football, but not so much in volleyball. But she's been here since January. Uh, She's from Brooklyn Park, uh, so we have local talent coming in as well. She is really impressed early so far this season as well. And then you've got some other role players. uh, Lauren Barnes, who's a defensive specialist, who probably will step into the starting libero role next year when uh, Rosado graduates. She's really looked good. All in all, this team is really, you know, they're getting effort from both their upperclassmen and their freshmen. Uh, This team could be scary for the next couple of years. Oh, by the way, the 2019 Final Four, Target Center. So, you know, that's not bad. So, given the success they've had in the non-conference right now, how how do you think things are setting up for the Big Ten? Because if I'm understanding it correctly, the Big Ten is absolutely stacked again, but especially this year. Yeah, once again, they are uh, fully loaded. You know, Minnesota can only benefit from playing a tough non-conference schedule. Going down to beating a tough Texas team in their own gym will get them prepared for when they have to go to Wisconsin, to Nebraska, to Penn State. Minnesota's the number one ranked team in the country right now. Penn State's two, Wisconsin's five, Nebraska's ten. So the Big Ten is a gauntlet. You're not going to get many nights off. Um, Minnesota won the conference last year. Or actually, they didn't. I take that back. They they won it two years ago. Last year, they ended up finishing second to Nebraska. Um, so, you know, you're always going to get some definite tough play between Penn State, who's won several of the last national titles. They've actually already beaten Stanford, who won the national title last year twice this season. So uh, the Big Ten is going to be just a huge battle every single week night in night out but it'll really get them prepared for the ncaa tournament where you can't take a night off just like the big 10 excellent um kind of switching gears it's been a really really busy day for news uh related to go for football um i think i actually i tweeted out at one point that you know it actually would have been nice if everybody had sort of spaced out um the information because we had the news about Demery Croft, we had the Big Ten uh, schedules get released. Um, ultimately tonight we had uh, the, the word that full banana uniforms would be coming out for Saturday along with some special Goldie helmets. It's, so it's been a pretty busy day. Um, to kind of make that transition, let's talk about the QBs. Um, obviously, you know, Connor Rota was named uh, the starting quarterback earlier this week. We just found out today Demery Croft will not be with the team uh, this weekend. He's taking a step back from uh, the, the team to go home and spend a little time uh, working out some personal issues. Um, 
and just wanted to kind of get everybody's take on everything we've learned in the last couple of days about the QBs, as well as maybe a little bit thinking back to the Oregon State game. Uh, Alex, how about you start us off? Yeah, I think based on the performances through two games, Rhoda had emerged as the clear starter. It was clear that the staff was willing to put him in situations they weren't willing to put Croft into. Granted, some of that is just how games work. Some of that is how their series were going. But Rhoda was in whenever it mattered in the first two games, and I think that tends to tip your hand. I would also say, and I'm not going to speculate as to what the personal issue that is affecting Croft is. I think that's unfair for a whole host of reasons. But let's just suppose that P.J. Fleck is not the greatest poker face in the world. Listening to his press conference today, whatever the general nebulous issue was, it seems to be an issue that he thinks really matters for the program at large. It seemed as if he was saying a not-so-subtle thing to the team, which was whatever happened and whatever kind of behavior this generally would be a part of, in some general sense, is not our culture. And that he is willing to say that very publicly indicates that he's probably saying something even more direct privately, which I think is probably as interesting to me as the QB situation itself. I'm not sure, Blake, if you had the same read or if you had something else. I mean, honestly, we really should have seen this coming once we figured out that Rhoda works so perfectly with Rhoda Boat. I mean, from the beginning, that should have been clear. But uh, I think, yeah, I think it goes along, a lot of it goes along with what you said about he was in there when the, mo- the moments that mattered um, in both games. And I think um, the connection he has with Tyler Johnson is pretty clear. With Demery, he just kind of he didn't think that he had a real feel for any particular wide receiver, you know, with. Um, Rhoda and Johnson, it's kind of, you know, shades of Adam Weber to Eric Decker and somewhere, you know, go for nations, losing his mind right now. Um, but and the thing that kind of stands out to me with Rhoda is, you know, on Saturday, he really commanded the offense. You know, he really had him going. He really had him going through a rhythm. He does, the one thing that does bother me, he did have two near catastrophic, well, the first game at the catastrophic mistake was the interception in the end zone. And then on Saturday, yeah, I think it was like third down and they had a holding pen and they were backed up to like third and 20. He had that awkward, horrible play where he started scrambling around then tried to throw it for whatever reason and ended up fumbling out of bounds, which could have been awful at that point in the game. But, I mean, for a guy that's had one start his entire career, to just have those two mistakes in two games is pretty good. I mean, a mediocre competition, but um, I have definitely like what I've seen from him. I didn't think he'd be the one that would jump out at this point, but... Um, this is where we're at. And, you know, well, one thing to also mention, too, is the offensive line has done a lot for him. He did show a lot of mobility outside the pocket against Oregon State, but he has been sacked um, zero times through two games. Um, obviously, there's issues with the run game with the offensive line, but I think in pass protection, that's been pretty good so far and a large part of his success. So, um, Andy, what do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree. The offensive line pass protection has been uh, the big key for Rhoda, you know, in his limited passing attempts, uh, keeping him protected, giving him time to make the throws. Um, That's something we'll watch going forward as we face some teams that have a little bit better pass rushes than both Oregon State and uh, Buffalo do. Uh, You know, I I like to compare Rhoda to the pretty much your typical game manager quarterback. He's not going to win a game for you. He could lose a game for you, but if he plays even-keeled, it's going to come down to other people making plays that will make the ultimate difference. Um, you know, he's not flashy. He's solid. Every once in a while, he's going to come up with a boneheaded mistake like we saw that interception against Buffalo. So I think Gopher fans should expect that's going to happen, you know, once every two games. At least you hope it's 
limited to once every two games continuing the season. Um, you know, at this point, I think once reading between the lines, looking at some of the quotes Coach Fleck had about Demery Croft, I'd be pretty much shocked if he came back to play any major role this season. He could be coming back later this season, but I, I pretty think this is uh, this is kind of Rota's team now. So barring injury, I think he's going to be playing the majority of snaps the rest of the season. Like I said, Gopher fans just sort of need to get themselves in the mentality of he is what he is. He's not going to go out and throw for 450 yards and six touchdowns, but if you can get, you know, an average 15 for 24 for 200 yards and two touchdowns every week, if the Gophers can get the run game going, you'll take that every single week from him. So it's uh, it's getting your expectations in gear and hoping that he can limit making the catastrophic mistakes every week. Well, it's going to be interesting now, too, that Demery's gone, whereas Demery was kind of the safety net, where you had, if, you know, kind of was working out, you could say, oh, this is a chance to give Demery some snaps. I mean, if Seth Green is going to be the backup, he hasn't he hasn't thrown a college pass. He hasn't even stepped on a college field yet. Um, so it's kind of, there's no safety net. So it's kind of interesting to see how they handle Connor going forward, knowing that basically he's option A and, you know, option B is typically option C. So that's something that um, will be interesting to watch, maybe a little bit uh, um, nerve-wracking to see going forward. Hey, Chris, do you think that in the event that, as Blake was talking about with the safety net, you have Tanner Morgan, who is the quarterback that P.J. Fleck recruited. Do you think Fleck's going to burn that redshirt? You know, I don't think so. I mean, if he was really considering it, I don't think he would have been as emphatic about trying to avoid it in his press conference statement today. I mean, albeit, you know, we're talking about the same week that Demry Croft, you know, was, was kind of announced as, as being uh, off the board, so to speak. Um, obviously, I think it probably comes down more to how things look in practice. If Tanner is absolutely tearing it up in practice with the twos uh, as compared to Seth, you know, and and then they need to bring somebody in, I think you could see it being more of a situation where, okay, I have more confidence in this, uh, this young guy. um, But I don't think he'll burn it for the sake of burning it. Um, Then again, we, uh, I don't think we, any of us really know, you know, we didn't know until after a year or two of Jerry kills tenure, how he felt about burning red shirts. Um, I'm hoping for the most part that that uh, PJ has a little bit more of a hesitancy to do so, but you know we'll see how that goes. I, I think the interesting thing that Andy mentioned that I'd follow up on is the idea of Rhoda not winning games on his own. And I, I can I can my immediate thought with that was, but hey, he had those big passes to Tyler Johnson, and then I immediately you know kind of looked at those in my head and said, yeah, but that's really Tyler Johnson making those plays not to take away from Connor throwing excellent passes in those situations, but those touchdowns in many respects happen because of Tyler Connor throwing a better ball in a better position makes it possible for Tyler to make that happen. But I think when you see uh, a situation where Connor is going to quote, win a game for us, it's going to be by, putting that short pass in the position uh, where the receiver can make a play and then do something with it versus threading the needle on a 50 yard bomb. So I, I think that's a pretty fair, fair take from, from Andy. Um, what has to be more concerned, honestly, than the quarterback uh, situation right now is the running game. Um, obviously Minnesota ran the ball a ton, an absolute ton against Oregon state. I don't, I realized I forgot to write down the exact numbers, but I believe it was something like 50, 
56 or 57 rushes to eight passes, which is really, I mean, an absolutely absurd number um, that we haven't seen since the the Chris Strievler magician uh, game where he had like 270 yards on the ground against uh, San Jose State uh, back in 2014. Um, but ultimately, my concern with the running game was that despite all of those rushes, they really were not seemingly continuing to get any push, not consistently at least. And it felt like a lot, and you could see it throughout the second half, that a lot of the gains that were happening were because Rodney and Shannon were making those gains happen. They were pushing a pile. They, I remember one specific moment when I, I, I apologize, I don't remember if it was Rodney or Shannon, but the defender was four yards in the backfield, three yards in the backfield, and whoever the running back was stopped took a step back, then hopped sideways and broke it outside. And it felt like it happened in slow motion, but it was an amazing run that ended up picking up like seven yards when it should have been a big loss. But that's not a sign of a running game that's in sync yet, at least from the offensive line's perspective. Um, there was a, uh, a stat that stood out that uh, uh, Michael Vintners in the comment uh, called out uh, – Basically, we had less success running the ball in terms of yards per carry against Oregon State than Portland State did. So we didn't do as well as a mediocre FCS team. And I think that's that's concerning. Um, Blake, is this something that you find worrisome going forward? I mean, I feel like we're, where we were, was it two years ago, where they were struggling against like Ohio teams and Kent State, where the offensive line was just struggling early in non-conference. And if you struggle against these inferior opponents, you're going to have a tougher time in conference. And back, I mean, if I remember correctly, that year, I mean, they didn't have it. They did. They won some games, but I mean, I think I was I think that was the five and seven year. Um, but it's definitely a concern. I mean, I was I'm less concerned than I was. Um, week one, but only marginally so. I mean, the offensive line did show some push down down, down the stretch, but part of that probably is, too, that the defense is wearing down because Oregon State's offense just couldn't stay on the field. Credit to the gopher defense. But um, I think part of it, too, is um, the defense not respecting Rhoda as an option and the run-pass option. And so they're stacking the box, and they're—I mean—the offensive line is outnumbered, and you can only win those situations so many times. I mean, you mentioned it yourself, Rodney and Shannon both make something out of nothing most of the time. I'd say at least seventy-five percent of the time, it's them getting hit in the backfield and trying to um, make something happen. I think I mentioned too um, when I was tweeting, live tweeting the game. You know, does Rodney have any yards before contact? And then, I mean, I feel like that'd be a useful stat for measuring how awesome these two backs have been, but. Um, um, so moving forward with that with that line, I think we're going to need to see um, to get to stop them from lo- uh, um, loading the box. Either crank up the passing game, see if Rhoda can spread them out, um, or I mean, just keep working at the offensive line. But I don't know, Alex. What do you think uh, moving forward? Because I know you're you a big guy that stresses. You know, this this is week one, week two. Let's not worry about this. So I'm kind of curious um, how you're feeling after those first two games. I think we should be concerned a little bit just because you would expect after a mediocre team like Portland State ran all over Oregon State that the Gophers, who this is a major part of our identity, should be able to do it and weren't able to do it as well. That said, the Gophers ran 58 times on Saturday. They averaged, surprisingly, uh, around three and a half yards of carry. Which means that if you run that play every single time, you get three and a half yards, you get first downs, and you get an old Bo Schembechler offense. They definitely performed better 
Uh, the last few drives of the game, if you exclude the garbage time one, their yards per carry was drastically increased. That's also where we saw the explosive plays, both Shannon Brooks's patented get six yards, get a defender, drag defender 12 more yards, as well as Rodney's voodoo in the backfield to avoid getting tackled. So both of those happened at that point. I think the other thing that was sort of interesting to me, surely from a play calling standpoint, is that the Gophers went under center to run the ball. They based out of a two tight end set, one guy in the backfield, usually Rodney, and then Shannon would come across and be the fly sweep option. We saw them run all three variants of that. So we saw them hand the ball off in the inside zone. We saw them give it to Brooks on the fly sweep. And we also saw a pass out of that. What I think I take from that is that the offense definitely cares. Certainly they would like to run the ball better, but they're still definitely putting in things and putting in formations and different personnel and trying to work and see if there's different tweaks they can make to make running the ball easier. I would say that this week three will be very interesting to me, both because they've had more time on film but equally because now you're starting to get to the Big Ten season, at some point you have to start putting in the rest of your offense. And I agree with you, Blake, that as long as Connor Rhoda is not considered a threat, either to run the ball or we've yet to see any real run-pass options, and they're a regular part of Western Michigan's offense, and a lot of the base of Western Michigan's offense has come with Fleck and Co. So I would expect to see them here it's going to be difficult to see how successful the Gophers will be running the ball going forward. So I'm cautiously optimistic in that I thought the performance is getting better, but there's still plenty of ways to go. Andy, do you see it that way? You know, I do and I don't. I think uh, to go off of something you said, definitely I think we're still inputting the offense. And I think, to me, the Maryland game is going to be our first really good time to see because... You're going to have two things. One, you're going to have the bye week where they can really stress and take time putting things in. And secondly, now that we know Connor Rhoda's the guy, you're not splitting reps between both Rhoda and Croft. Rhoda's getting the number one reps. Rhoda's getting the reps with the number one offensive line. Rhoda's getting the reps with Rodney and Shannon. So you know what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are. You can basically now redesign the offense guarding around Connor Rhoda and making sure that you know what plays work with him and what plays, you know, might have been more successful with Demery as opposed to uh, as opposed to Connor. So I think, you know, seeing the evolution of the Gopher offense over the next couple of weeks, Maryland will be the first game I'm really going to be looking forward to seeing what we can sort of expect the rest of the way of the season. Um, but yeah, the offensive line interior, you know, needs to get some push. Um there's really no excuse for not doing better than Portland State, even if you are just running inside zone draws for a good chunk of the game. Um, you know, you're you're a Big Ten school. I know you've got some young, inexperienced offensive linemen, but uh, they they should be better than that. So, whether that's a line cohesiveness unit issue, which Ed Warner can work with them over the next couple of weeks, or whether that's just a brute strength technique issue that you know we may not see any improvement we may be sort of sitting through that all the rest of the year that's something that will yet to be shown but uh you know i think we'll see a little bit more inventive game calling this week against middle tennessee state but i'm guessing it's still going to be pretty vanilla and like i said maryland i think is where we're really going to start to see all right this is what this offense is going to be the rest of the year 
Hey, Chris, how worried do you think we should be that Jared Weiler went down? Do we think that injury is going to affect it going forward this week or for future with the offensive line? You know, I don't know. Um, it's a little harder to get a read on injuries. Uh, Flex seems to play it a little bit closer to the vest than Killen Clays did. And it's, it, it's as simple as looking at the depth chart every week. You know, Kill Clays used to put out uh, information about who was questionable or out. Uh, and we're not get, we're not getting that right now. Um, if he's if he's hindered or or out, I think it's very concerning uh, given the state of the offensive line and uh, where they are currently. But I also am not terribly worried if they choose to limit his play against Middle Tennessee State or even hold him out. Um, I, honestly, if he's the difference between us beating Middle Tennessee State and not beating Middle Tennessee State, we probably have some other problems. Uh, and if they were to hold him out or limit him in that action, get him the bye week and then bring him back from Maryland just to be extra cautious, I wouldn't be overly concerned. Uh, ho hopefully I'm not proven wrong on that. Um, but uh, again, I just I don't see him being the, the, the big um, cog that holds everything together. Uh, looking at Middle Tennessee State, um, last week they beat the Syracuse uh, Orange 30-23. to It was not an impressive game. I didn't get to watch it, but just kind of reading recaps, looking at um, you know stats and such, it didn't look like Middle Tennessee was uh, blowing anyone away. Uh, up until this point, Middle Tennessee really doesn't appear to be putting on the kind of offensive showcase that I think had us all a little bit scared. Um, you know, Alex, when you look at Middle Tennessee, are you seeing anything that has you concerned? And what do you think we might look for for new wrinkles as far as what the Gophers will do to attack them? I'm led to believe they have a good quarterback. Flex seems to really like their quarterback. And they have some talented weapons. So on defense, the specific player that I am watching is Antonio Chanel because he has been targeted repeatedly in the first two weeks of the season, and it is unquestionably true that he is going to be regularly targeted against Middle Tennessee State. I think he's not that I'm going to go so far as to say that he is the weak link of the secondary, because that's wildly unfair for a whole host of reasons, but he is frequently going up against very good wide receivers who are going to get the ball anyway, and as a consequence, they're putting him in positions to be challenged. So if he has a really good game on Saturday, I think the Gophers will have a really good game. On offense, as far as wrinkles, I'm waiting to see a run-pass option. Wrote about it today in the football seminar. I think we're going to start seeing that, especially as noted previously, Road is taking all of the first-team snaps. So something that is going to require a read and then a quick decision makes a whole lot more sense when you're a regular starter. But as far as what Middle Tennessee State itself is going to bring to the table, what do you think, Blake? I think the one guy, as you mentioned, to look out for is going to be their quarterback. It's Brent Stockstill. He's actually the coach's son. <clears throat> this is his third year starting at Middle Tennessee State at quarterback. Um, he banged up his shoulder against Syracuse on Saturday, but it sounds like he's going to play. He's pretty optimistic, and Fleck was pretty optimistic today that he was going to play. So um, it'll be a good test for the secondary, particularly, as you said, Antonio Chenault. Um, I know he had a bit of a rough game against Vanderbilt. Um, they've been pretty good defensively under um, head coach Derek Mason for the last couple of years, so that's come to be expected. Um, but he definitely had a stronger game week two against Syracuse. I think he was like maybe 23 for 32 or something and like 200 and some yards. So um, 
that'll be kind of the matchup to watch. They don't really run the ball very well or at all very much. They're more of a passing team, which we've seen in the past. Um, so it's definitely going to be a game where our thin secondary is going to have to step up. And, I mean, I've been fairly impressed with how they've done the last two games. Um, but, we'll, again, we'll see. Um, there's just a lot of youth there. Like you see um, Keandre Thomas. Um, these are the red true freshman cornerback, and he's kind of struggled last week um, with some um, – freshman mistakes but um, we'll see how that fares against Milton ST State and then this will actually be a pretty good test for the Gophers rushing attack. Um, the Blue Raiders um, against two power five opponents are averaging 98.5 rushing yards allowed um, which is which is pretty good um, so that'll be an interesting test to see how our offensive line does against our defensive line um, if they have a pretty good game I mean that's something that neither Vanderbilt nor Syracuse was able to do so that's a good sign moving forward but um, I think it also goes back, especially to, I don't think it depends on if Jared Weiler's healthy, because um, like Chris said, um, I, <laughs> if our success hinges on one offensive lineman alone, um, we're in a lot of trouble, definitely down the line, but um, it'll just be interesting to see how our offensive line matches up against their defensive line, and if we can get um, the run game going, because otherwise it's going to put a lot of pressure on Connor, and we'll see <laughs> we'll see what that leads to, but uh, personally, I do think Minnesota's more similar um, in terms of style of play to Vanderbilt and Syracuse, um, Vanderbilt's kind of grinded out, you know, trust your defense, get to the win. I think they won 28-6, to or Middle Tennessee State just kind of smothered them on defense. So um, I have a lot of faith in Rob Smith, the defensive coordinator, um, after what I've seen the first two weeks. So um, I feel pretty confident about that. But Andy, what are you thinking as we uh, head to Middle Tennessee State? Yeah, you know, I'm sort of torn. If uh, if anybody remembers back to our predictions early in the week, I was the only one that went on a limb, and I actually predicted Middle Tennessee State was going to win on Saturday. Uh, I'm thinking I'm walking that back after seeing <laughs> um, how the Gophers have done. And but but Middle Tennessee State winning at Syracuse last week definitely gives me pause. Um, Brent Stock still is a really good quarterback. The question will be is how much is that shoulder going to bug him? Um, I think the best thing the Gophers can do is get some pressure in on him and hit him a couple of times hard, whether that's, you know, Coughlin, Martin, any of our any guys like that. Uh, hit him a couple of times and make him think back there. I think that's really going to benefit the Gophers' defense during the game. Um, offensively, you're right. we we got to run the ball. Um, you know, we have to make progress. Now Rodney and Shannon know what they have to do. Uh, we just have to get push. Um, I was going to say that, you know, I think if, if Weiler can't go, I'm not as concerned because now granted it was the end of the game last week, but when they brought or shifted Connor Olsen over to center and then brought in Vincent Calhoun to play guard, that was actually when the Gophers had some of their best running successes last week against Oregon State. So I think that one injury they can shift relatively without too much of a loss, but if they have any other issue, any other injury issues, or especially if they lose a tackle, that's when I think we're going to have even more issues than we've seen already. Um, but I definitely think, you know, teams are going to start keying in on Tyler Johnson, so it's going to be time for Rhoda to start trying to find other receivers, whether that's more Brandon Lingen over the middle, whether that's time for uh, Rashad Still to finally live up to his potential, whether that's uh, working you know, along the outside with either Eric Carter or um, Demetrius Douglas, or even Philip Howard got a few more snaps than I think everybody expected last week. Finding that second 
consistent option other than TJ is going to be big going forward for the Gopher offense. I just want to say I find it concerning that you talked about defenders hitting somebody and Celestin didn't make your list. Uh, I subtract much from like a uh, um, not pardon the interruption, but now I'm blanking all of a sudden. What's the show where they subtract points? Yeah, I'm around a horn. I'm taking three points away from you. Click, cling, click, cling, click, cling. Three points away from Andy for not mentioning Thumper. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that 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 that's pretty bad. I uh, if, if if Jonathan Selston actually ever listens to this, which I think the chances are pretty small, uh, I'm sorry. Please don't hit me. All right. Uh, <laughs> Big Ten schedules came out today. Uh, really quickly. I'm going to get some thoughts from all of you on what you thought. The big thing for me, I can make myself happy regardless of who our last opponent is, if it's Wisconsin, Iowa, or Nebraska. I prefer having Wisconsin be the end of the season every year, but I am pleased to see, at least in the uh, the 2020 and 2021 schedules, that the sort of heavy backload that we've faced for years now in the conference schedule has sort of eased up a little bit. Um, so, you know, there's rumors of the big 10 switching to a rotation so that that last week will change every two years. That doesn't excite me, but as long as we always face Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, I can probably make myself okay with it. Blake, when you saw the the schedule come out what, for tw- uh, 2020 and 2021, what were your thoughts on it? You know, to be honest, I'll, I'll take a page out of Gopher Nation's playbook and say, you know, just win. Um, schedules don't really... It just doesn't really bother me that much. I mean, the backload. I mean, like you said, the backload of schedules it has been pretty crappy the past couple of years. But I mean, the two things that jumped out to me with these two schedules is one, I think it's 2021. We have Ohio State to open the season. I think that I honestly think that's pretty cool. I thought it was cool when Indiana Ohio State had that Thursday night game, and I I think this will end up getting moved to Thursday night. Hopefully, I just like having that Thursday night opener ahead of every other game, and it's just kind of an interesting twist to start the conference season. That really, um, and then like you said, moving Axe Week earlier up in the season. I mean, I I I do wish we kept the rivalry week to the end of the season. I just think it's just a cool way to close out the year, especially when you have everyone in college football ending the regular season with a rival. I just think that's just like something cool about the tradition of college football. But, you know, maybe on the bright side, if we catch them earlier in the season before they figured things out, we can get that win or or something. But, yeah, it's just kind of sad to see it. But if the, if the chair, the broken chair trophy does make a comeback, um, I'm all for Nebraska at the end of the season. So we'll just kind of see what happens. But, uh, Alex, any strong thoughts on the new schedules? I have no strong thoughts whatsoever. I would prefer we play Wisconsin at whatever week is going to mean that we're going to beat Wisconsin, but that's it. Fair enough. By the way, Blake, I, I want to clarify. You mean 2020 will be our fourth win in a row over Wisconsin. That's uh, what I assume yes, you meant. My bad. I, you know, I just got confused there, but uh, you're, you're of course correct. Sorry, my bad. Excellent. Excellent. That's, that's what I thought. And Andy, what, what, what were you thinking? As the schedule nerd and the guy who actually looks at this, which, you know, whether that's relevant or not. But, um, you know, if I'm going to look at comparing 2020 and 2021, I I originally thought 2020 was the easier one. But looking at it closely, there's an interesting little four-game stretch, five-game stretch there. Um, you know, you've got your two probable cupcakes to start the year, and then you get Iowa at home in week three, which is just going to be weird. 
Um, and then you get BYU at home the next week, so not a Power 5 team, but about as close as you can get. And then you have to go back-to-back weeks to Maryland, which theoretically is a team on the rise, at Wisconsin, and then back home for Michigan before the end of the schedule then gets it. That that five-week stretch might be a bit dicey. Uh, whereas you look at 2021, yeah, you've got Ohio State to start the year, and then we go to Colorado week three. Um, so there's your Power 5 not conference there. But then I like the way the rest of the Big Ten spaces out. At Purdue, home for Wisconsin, by at Northwestern, home for Maryland, home for Illinois, at Iowa, at Indiana, home for Nebraska. You could get on a pretty good tear there, and we would assume by 2021 that P.J. Flex got the recruiting going in, in, in full gear. And um, if you could show up in that Ohio State game, I'm not predicting, you know, 12-0 and 0 or anything like that, but that that looks definitely possible like a 10-2, and 11-1 season if you've got everything going. So... Um, It'll be interesting to see how they do schedule going forward when they're we're we're adding a lot more of the Power Five teams to the non-conference. I think the Big Ten really does want to put a lot more of their marquee games early in the year. So, if you look, they've got I think the 2020 schedule has three games Labor Day weekend, Big Ten games, and 2021 has four conference games Labor Day weekend. So I think they're realizing that 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 opening weekend is a big time to catch TV eyes, and they want to try and. Uh, use that publicity to get people watching conference games. Now, I would much rather open with even a, you know, a decent team than Ohio State week one, but I suppose there's a better chance to catch them sleeping week one than there is, you know, week eight or week nine. Um, I don't mind having Wisconsin in the middle of the schedule. Personally, with Wisconsin family, it makes things a lot easier because then I don't have to worry about trying to screw up Thanksgiving plans because I make the trip to Madison every year. I'd much rather make the trip to Madison in, in mid-October, especially if there's a breeze off Lake Minota or Mendota. That's not a fun stadium to be when that wind's whipping in late November. Um, but I also think, at least in, in recent past now, I mean, projecting it out three, four years, who knows, but I think we would have died to have gotten Wisconsin in the middle of the season a couple of years ago rather than waiting till week 12 where they finally gotten their crap together um, when they looked really, really vulnerable earlier in the year. So if that, for whatever reason, stays true, um, you know, I won't be shocked if that doesn't become something that we can take advantage of in a few years. I'm calling my shot right now. The Ohio State game has game day. Just, just putting it out there. Um, so schedule news is big, and I kind of thought that was going to be the end of our, our, our news for the day. Um, I had We sort of had our agenda for what the podcast was going to be about. And then, oh, and then, we find out that the, the fun schedule news that had been, or sorry, excuse me, the fun uniform news that had been teased throughout the early part of the week uh, was here. And it became a double dose of goodness. First, we found out that the helmets for Middle Tennessee State was going to have Goldie on it, a big Goldie face on the side, on one side. Goldie's tail makes up the stripe, and then we get the block M on the other side. And then just before we hopped on the podcast, uh, Minnesota Football on Facebook, the, the official account confirmed that, yes, we will have full banana, gold on gold on gold, for the first time in program history. Um, on Saturday. I love it. I'm excited. I know people who are traditionalists are going to be squeamish about it. I would urge you to just get excited, get in the spirit, have some fun. Um, really quickly going around the group, Alex, 
full banana and Goldie helmet. Your thoughts? I'm so excited about full banana and Goldie helmet. To be more specifically, I'm just excited for Goldie on the helmet. I would like to read a brief thing because it happens to be Goldie's birthday, which is the reason why they're doing this. And hopefully that's going to be a tradition going forward. But I was curious as to when Spin Your Head started. And apparently it started in the late 80s, early 90s by a guy named Ross Bernstein, who was Goldie at the time, who uh, assumed mascot duties after failing to make the hockey team. So it was the hockey Goldie. And his explanation for the qualifications of Goldie were, you had to be able to skate and be a complete idiot. And I qualified on both counts. So I'm just really excited that that spirit is now being memorialized not only from a birthday celebration, but in our uniforms. As a man who wears Zubas, the idea of being a complete idiot being immortalized, I second that notion. Andy, full banana, Goldie on the helmet, what do you got? Uh, Very excited. I think you won't find anybody in this podcast who's not excited by it, but uh, in solidarity, I will also be going full banana on Saturday, so look for the the gigantic guy who looks like a huge Chiquita banana, and that'll be me. Um, But yes, no, the the helmet is, is sweet. I once you see the, the, the video that uh, PJ Fleck tweeted out tonight, the, the Goldie tail stripe looks amazing, better than I even thought it could possibly look. And uh, I'm very, very excited. And just to jump off of what, uh, what Street was saying, uh, Ross Bernstein has two books about his time as Goldie and, and uh, some other fun facts about uh, the Gopher Hockey program. If you are at all a Gopher fan and like Gopher Hockey, run out to go find those books you should be able to find them really cheap used on amazon they've been out for about 15 years they are two of the best reads you could ever find blake i assume you're gonna make it uh four of us who are very excited you know i wrote an open letter on the blog to coach fleck back in february campaigning for full banana and you know it's been uh, almost a year now since that letter i can only assume that pj fleck we tagged him in the tweet he opened up the article is like you know i'm gonna make this this guy's dream happened, and I mean that we can. That seems like the only logical explanation for this. So, kids, dreams do come true, and for me, full banana this Saturday. It's going to be a dream come true. We're all excited. I can't wait. I, I for one, am proud that, to announce that I believe Blake is correct. That the Daily Gopher and his letter are the sole reason that we have full banana, and uh, if you know, if we don't have a, a moment on the big screen memorializing us for that i'm gonna be sad very very sad so kids remember always shoot your shot especially on twitter (laughs) clearly never a downside to this actually proven right now that's that's not that's totally true because think about it crimson quarry like was it two or three years ago it started the whole like iu for game day thing and everybody was like oh big joke big joke haha and it sort of almost happened and then what happens like there's all of a sudden like espn's like you know what we'll create a special college game day just for that thursday night game and they you know it wasn't the normal college game day but it was still college game day and it was indiana's first college game day so twitter um a horrible place like 76 percent of the time an amazing place every time it results in full gold uniforms or college game day going somewhere random. Um, All right, question time. Uh, This is a reminder to everyone listening. If you have a fun uh, suggestion for what we should call question time, uh, please 
put it in the comments or shoot us an email or hit us up on Twitter. Um, we This is a bit we'll be doing every single week, and we kind of would like to have a snappy name for it. So uh, give us a snappy name, please. We would love to have a snappy name. Um, question number one, will our running backs combined rush for more yards than Tyler Johnson will have receiving? Alex. I hope so. Specifically, I hope that both of our running backs combine for at least 200 yards rushing and Tyler gets like, I don't know, 175 receiving. Yeah, that'd be pr- I mean, that would be excellent. I, I, I think like logically I have to say it's, it's going to be the running backs, but you know, TJ has been really impressive. Um, I don't know, but Andy, what are you thinking? You know, I think I'm going to say that the running backs will have more yards, but I think that's going to be because I think this is the first week we're going to see Tyler Johnson's stats go down a little bit. I think uh, Middle Tennessee State is going to sell out on him and force Connor Rhoda to find some other people to throw the ball to. So it's not going to be because of necessarily because of the success of the running backs, but because I think Tyler Johnson is going to be held to about 100 yards this week. Only 100 yards. I mean... That sounds terrible. Only a hundred yards. I mean, how many times did we have a hundred yard receiver last year? <laughs> I mean, I don't think it was very many. So yeah, I, I would love to get in the position where only a hundred yards becomes something we say. We say that would be that would be fantastic. Um, prediction for Necton of the week. Uh, I am going to go. Hmm. I didn't do a good job of thinking of the answer to this question in advance. So I apologize as I ponder. You know what? I'm going to say Celestine. He's going to knock the decal off of somebody and single-handedly like put them into the Springfield mystery spot. And yeah, Celestine, Necton of the week. Uh, going to Blake. Who, who's your Necton? I want to say I'm going to go with Keandre Thomas. I think that this is going to be a big game for the secondary, and I think he's we're going to see him step up. I don't trust – Antonio enough, I think he's going to get tested to call the next in a week, but I think this is where we see Keandre kind of show his potential um, and have a big game. Maybe an even interception? I don't know. We'll see. But uh, Alex, who you got? I think based on the fact that Middle Tennessee State likes to throw the ball, Kamal Martin is going to be my next end of the week. That's a good pick. Uh, I think the Gophers are going to end up playing a lot of nickel. So with that, you have uh, Antoine Winfield who moves to sort of that nickel corner. Uh, and you're going to have uh, Jacob Huff who's going to come in and play that other safety next to Duke Mede. So I'm going to go Jacob Huff. He already had interception week one. I think he's going to get another one Saturday and uh, probably be in on six, seven, eight tackles as well. If we had to pick a necton for the week, because I know there's been talk in the comments of it can't always be a shark. It, it could be something else. Who would you what what animal would you pick for your necton? Would it be a walleye or something else? I I, I want to go with an octopus. Does an octopus count as a necton? I, I'm going to say it does. What is a necton? Let's just define that for the rest of the commentariat. I mean, it's it's basically an aquatic marine animal that swims under its own power. Is it not? Am I getting that wrong? I honestly have no idea. Sure. I I think I think that's that's relatively correct. And if that's what we're going to go with, uh, you know, us being up in the upper Midwest, you got to go with the muskie. I mean, there there's a lake up in northern Minnesota just outside of Duluth that has had 
three musky attacks this summer. Wait, hold so, on. Musky attacks? Musky attacks, where people are out swimming and they're getting their feet bitten and chewed up by 50-inch muskies swimming along the lake because they look like splashing smaller fish. So I'm going with the good old uh, northern Minnesota Lake Muskie. I'm actually just still comprehending the idea that muskies are attacking. I mean, muskies always look like they could attack people, but I just laugh about it because, you know, fish don't attack people. Sharks attack people. But now I don't want to get into a lake ever again. Uh, Thank you, Andy. You've now ruined my favorite pastime of the summer, which is to find a lake because there aren't any around here, and you've ruined it. You you just want to skip that same lake because I think it was like a year or two ago that same lake had a uh, river otter attack somebody. So that lake just uh, is chewing up people left and right. Nature. Nature's always coming at you. By the way, I went to Wikipedia, which is, of course, the fount of all knowledge and is never, ever incorrect. Uh, Necton uh, refers to an aggregate of actively swimming aquatic organisms in a body of water as opposed to passive organisms that are carried along by the current, like plankton. So, yes, basically any fish, octopus, anything like that would all be nectons. You don't have to have them be sharks, uh, especially not when we have people eating muskies. All right. Um, Score predictions. Middle Tennessee State, um, how badly will they lose simply because they're going to be outclassed in the uniform departments? I'm going to go – Honestly, I, I've been trying to keep the scores lower, but uh, Oregon State has me feeling pretty good. I feel like uh, another offensive explosion could be out there. Maybe not quite as good. I think part of that was driven by the turnover situation, um, and you can't always count on three turnovers. But I'm going to say mm, I'm going to go 32-13 as a Minnesota victory. Uh, Street, what do you have for the score prediction? good guys. On a uniform perspective, countable infinity to Minnesota, negative countable infinity to Middle Tennessee State, because there's no way they can class with those Goldie helmets. Blake, what's your your prediction? Uh, 31-17 Gophers. Andy? Like I said, originally I had Middle Tennessee State winning this one, but I am going to walk it back. Um, Going back and forth in the middle of my head, I'm going to end up going Gophers 27, Middle Tennessee State 21. I'll say props to Andy for admitting that you can make mistakes and, you know, walk them back. Yeah, good for you. It's okay. I'm just the guy who gets to look like a complete idiot if the Gophers somehow <laughs> do fail on Saturday. So, Well, remember, everyone, change our best at all times. Sorry, just uh, I, I quickly I, I wanted to see if Twitter had thrown anything out especially interesting for us uh, before I closed out related to the uniforms. And here I find uh, our very own white speed receiver Ben Dawson uh, coming through with a quote: "There's a large minority of our fan base who would willingly sacrifice sustained success for seven and five with '70s unis and white running backs." A wise man. I don't want to get into that last part so much, but uh, do you? Th- final question that I'm adding right now: Do you think the overall response to the new uniforms from the wider fan base is going to be as excited as the four of us, or do you think it's going to get panned uh, generally? And I'm going to turn that over to the super excited Street. 
I'm pretty sure that there hasn't been a single trend in the history of fashion that Minnesotans have glommed onto early. <laughs> if I recall back when I was in middle school, and I'm not making this up, this is a real trend that happened in my middle school. I, I don't know if people in your middle school, men dyed their hair. Uh, it became kind of a thing to dye your hair blonde. And we had the, you know, the skateboard ramp kind of thing. But instead of dyeing your entire hair blonde, which may have been the trend on the East Coast or the West Coast, all we did, and fortunately not me because my mother was more intelligent than I was, dyed like the first third of our hair. So those are the kinds of people we're dealing with on a fashion perspective. We shouldn't care about their opinions. Gold, goldy helmets, unquestionably the best. That's my answer. Final. Back to you, Chris. So wait, to be clear, you're saying that actual human beings who lived in your town, who were not possessed by aliens or infected by rabies or otherwise of unsound nature, to your knowledge, were choosing to have only a third of their hair dyed blonde? Yeah, I mean, they were, they were dudes going through puberty, so I don't necessarily know if those assumptions hold. But let's be real. This is also the same place, and I come from like not a super rural area, that thought like, yeah, this would be a great idea. And I'm pretty sure it was the popular thing to do. Like if you weren't dyeing your hair like a moron, you were uncool. I mean, we dyed our hairs like, like our hairs, our hair like morons up in my neck of the woods, but it was like standard trendy moron, like frosting the tips and things like that, not hey, third of my head, one color, two thirds of my head, another color that, that I'm, 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 I'm gobsmacked. You know, Kevin from the office, like his balding, but imagine instead of it being bald, that's the blonde. I, I don't want to make you out your city, but offline, I'm going to make you discuss with me, like the problems of your city. Like I, I... all I'm saying Goldie helmet. Great. If you disagree, you're probably one of the people that died a third of their head. I've on that note, I think we have to end it. I mean, that's just impeccable logic. So, uh, everybody, thank you again for listening to the Sky U podcast. Um, thank you for all the comments helping us get better. Uh, we're working on getting this on to iTunes. They haven't gotten back to us quite yet, but we have submitted. So, if you're waiting for that iTunes stream. Uh, hold on just a little bit longer. It's coming. Uh, but uh, Sky Yuma, row the boat, and full banana on Saturday. Go Gophers.